This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. Welcome to a Joycast from Joy 94.9. Visit joy.org.au to find out more about our Joycast. Stand Up Straight on Joy 94.9. Good evening and welcome everyone. I am Michelle Barber and you are listening to Stand Up Straight where we aim to provide a vehicle for the allied supporters to stand up for our GLBTI community to encourage and create greater inclusion, share stories, give advice, create dialogue or introduce a new way of thinking and most importantly to facilitate change towards greater acceptance of our rainbow family in all its shapes and sizes. Before we get into tonight's show, which I think is going to be educational, a bit saucy, a bit cheeky, a bit funny, a bit rude, I don't know. Um, I want to thank Chris and Cam for a great afternoon's music and giggling, as they always do, and uh, to the lovely Milan for the news. And I'm going to say a very quick thank you and a hello to James across the desk, uh, whose voice you may hear at 9 o'clock tonight at the, in the woods. He's... Um, helping us out and uh, across the desk today, pushing our buttons and making us sound beautiful. Two people that are going to sound beautiful first is uh, Clayton and myself. Hello, Clayton. And uh, tonight, guess what? We're going to talk about sex. Now, that usually grabs everyone's attention. I know it's really, really corny. But do we really, truly have those serious and really important discussions that we need to? I don't know. Do we? Do you think? Oh, Oh, well, I'm just wondering whether you think we do... Have um, those questions and answers. We never have quite enough of that conversation. No, in I don't... the right way. We haven't talked about sex in lots of different ways. Yeah, we do. And um, I think tonight we're going to give it a little bit of notice that some topics might be a little bit confronting. Uh, some topics might be perhaps maybe not suitable for younger ears. Uh, some topics might uh, not be suitable for grandmas or mothers and so on. So I'm going to introduce Dr. Vincent Cornelise. He's a registrar in sexual health medicine and GP at Paran Market Clinic. Welcome, Doctor. Thank you, Michelle. 
the doctor's in the house. Come I love on, it when you call me doctor. The, that's the only time I'm going to say the doctor's in the house. So welcome, Vinny. Thank you. Thank you for joining us tonight. And uh, Clayton, I think we had a, a little technical issue. Welcome, Clayton. Oh, hey, thanks. I can actually hear myself now. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we're uh, tonight's a little bit about some education it's a little bit about discussion it's uh about i'd like to take a little bit of a positive direction positive spin and what makes good sexual health and is there a connection between good sexual health and positive attitude positive way of thinking a positive body image yeah definitely Mm -hmm. i mean i think first you know sexual health is a very broad topic Obviously, when we think about sexual health, we often think about you know, chlamydia, gonorrhea, and HIV, and syphilis, and the STIs. Do you think people think of that, the average person, though? Do they? I You're, don't know. Are you an average I'm person? A, what well, do you I think about? I like to think I'm better than average, but no. Um, I don't. I, to me, I think sexual health is more from a mental perspective or my attitude to it. So that's sort of... Uh, to me, I think my uh, uh, sexual health is about... Um, not hiding it away, not embarrassed about talking about it publicly. I don't mean in, in, in a nitty-gritty form, but I mean just talking about it. That, to me, is sexual health. Yeah, and I think, you know, I can't quote this verbatim, but um, the World Health Organization does have a definition of sexual health, and it certainly includes many things other than STIs. I mean, it talks about people being free to be able to live out their sexuality in a way that's free from disease, but also free from stigma and free from repression. Um, so it's certainly very multifaceted. Is um, um, Clayton uh, has been a volunteer um, sexual health educator and would you say support person as well oh yeah well, certainly and i'm also a non-volunteer one in my teaching capacity as well so which uh, is in what capacity uh primary school sex ed um we call it growing and knowing oh really uh, so, uh, yeah uh, that's in- why is there a reason that you don't call it sexual health or sex ed I, I think it's just a, the, the, that phrase sex ed scares kids. So. And they're, they're, and it scares parents too. Yeah, really. absolutely, definitely. Doesn't it? So therein lies my, one of my questions. Is it because the word sex, it, uh, people are scared to talk about it or embarrassed or ashamed? Well, I don't know. People certainly talk about it a lot and people mention the word sex a lot. So I don't. Mm. But it's often done in a... Oh, and this is changing, but it's often done in sort of a joking fashion rather than actually sitting down and seriously talking about how your sex is going and if you're enjoying the sex that you're having and, you know, the the actual nitty-gritty of sex. Do people talk enough about whether they... And again, we're not talking about people having to be specific about what they do, but do you think people have open and honest discussions, even amongst their friends, about what it's like to have a good sex life even? Do they talk like that? I think my friends, when I first met them many, many years ago, they were all much more less likely to talk about sex. But over the years, I've kind of got them a little bit more relaxed about talking about sex. (laughs) What's the stigma about it then? If we know. Yeah. I mean, I think it has a very long history. I mean, obviously, I don't don't want to be 
bashing anyone um, particularly. Go on. <laughs> Go on. But obviously, you know, the, the church or the churches have had a long history of mm. trying to push sex back in the closet, um, or at least into the confessional, where a lot of talk about sex <laughs> happened. Um, and over the years, that I think that's been reinforced. I mean, obviously, in World War Two, for example, there was a big problem with sexually transmitted infections amongst the troops, and in World War One as well, and that had mm. a massive impact on the army's ability to win the war. And as a result, the Allied governments had massive campaigns, which were essentially slut-shaming. I mean, there were, there, mm. there was, this was before the invention of penicillin, and basically um, women who were considered to be loose um, or who were, as in, were having lots of sexual partners, um, they were shamed in order to try and ward their soldiers off from having sex with women that weren't their wife. So that they wouldn't get STIs. So it's been reinforced throughout history, and I think that's how we end up in the current situation. It's interesting because the slut shaming went on to the women, yet it was the men who were the sluts. And so, like, so, which is fine. I have no issue with that. I'm just saying that there was the diversity of sexual people accessing sex. That sentence was terrible. <laughs> From yeah. a teacher. Yeah. <laughs> was um was there a reason why? Or do you know why the reason why was there a reason why it was the women that were blamed and not the men sharing the responsibility or a shared blame? Aren't women always blamed for everything? <laughs> <laughs> didn't, didn't Freud blame oh. all the worries on his mother? <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like the perfect time for us to have a break and ponder that extremely interesting question. Uh, we're going to go for a bit of uh, music. I don't normally choose music that is uh, connected to the theme, but we are definitely going to tonight. We are. You are listening to Stand Up Straight on Joy 94.9. Spinderella cut it up one time. Dope, dope, dope. Take it easy. 
You are on Stand Up Straight with Michelle Clayton and uh, Dr. Vincent Connellys. We're calling him Vinny tonight. Doctor's in the house. I promise I will not say that anymore because that's embarrassing to uh, anybody that knows You me. actually promised that last time, I know by the I way. did. Yeah, okay, thank you so, for yeah. holding me accountable, Clayton. <laughs> <laughs> um, we are talking about, and I suppose the lines in that song, which are literally, let's talk about sex. And I think uh, one of the reasons I want to do this show is to for a couple of reasons everyone does it some more often than not some with one partner some with lots of partners and as long as in my mind if it's consensual end of story it doesn't matter what any of us do i'm going to pick you up on one little part there. not everybody does it most people okay well yeah, yeah that no and that's true mm-hmm. and yes thank you that's people, true there's certainly people who identify as being asexual so they don't necessarily they just can but they mm. don't necessarily have sex so and it's no one's mm-hmm. business. I think mm. what the thing that gets me is that why uh, why you're either judged by what you do or don't do, or with who or whom and whatever. That's that bothers me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, if it bothers you and you want to tell us about it, you can send us a message on oh four two seven joy nine four nine, or you can send us an email on air at joy dot org dot au. If you've got a question or a statement or an experience that's okay for us to read out on air or whatever you want to say, um, please uh, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Um, uh, education's a huge thing. Um, Clayton's an educator. Uh, Vinny's an educator in a, in a different kind of way. Have you got any opinions about sex ed in schools? I have lots of opinions about Go. sex ed in I'll schools. Put, I'll sit back, put my feet up. I think up. I mentioned this to you. Like, we did this. We had a little chat about a year ago, and yeah. I think I mentioned this last time as well. But um, I've got. A, I guess I've got an interesting perspective from my own personal story because I grew up in the Netherlands and started my sex ed in the Netherlands in um, well, start of high school, so equivalent to year eight here. Mm-hmm. So um, thirteen. 
Uh, yeah, roughly, 12, yeah? 13, 14. Yeah. And um, I had two years of sex ed there and then came to Australia and um, then had sex ed here. So it was interesting to see the difference where in the Netherlands um, the sex ed was very practical. We watched uh, videos of people having sex and videos of people masturbating and we talked about all different types of sexual activity. and Just um, straight, though? Uh, or no, heterosexual? No, no, no. Heterosexual or, yeah. and um, same sex. Oh. Um, and then I came to Australia and we learned how to roll a condom onto a banana. Oh, of course, because yes. we need that. <laughs> yeah, we what age are we talking about? So I would have been 14 at the okay. time and in Australia. So it was 12, 13 in mm-hmm. the Netherlands. So... So I just uh, to me the difference was quite striking where the sex education I started but obviously didn't finish over there because mm-hmm. I left um, was it was very practical and also it, the, I think the really important bit about it is it spent a lot of time talking about how to negotiate sexual relationships and I think wow. that's a really tricky area and it's something that we don't talk about enough we we don't and then how where do we expect young people to get either a confidence in talking about sex or talking about masturbation or talking about what they like and don't like if we don't create that space to start with yeah exactly and how do you with your sexual partner how do you talk about you know i like it when you put it in there but not when you put it in there and you know Mm. that angle's better for me and that you know that sort of stuff but also how do you say no confidently but in a way that doesn't necessarily terminate the whole experience but that's let you put put down your boundaries in a way that you're comfortable with so that's a really good question how do you have that conversation with someone if you're young and you you, we all want to be liked of course at some point in our life whether it's all the time or as you get older you might not care but how do you have that conversation as a teenager do you have you, do you have to talk about that, Vinny, in your practice? Do you have teenagers that come to you that don't know how to have that conversation? Yeah, I do occasionally. I mean, m- most of my patients are a little bit older, so in their 20s and 30s, um, and, and obviously people older than that as well. Um, but occasionally I do get teenagers coming into the practice. And again, it's we start talking about this sort of stuff, and it becomes quite apparent that even though you know my school years are many many years ago (laughs) there is still a lack of quality in sexual health education in a lot of schools and i can't make a blanket statement about old school all schools i'm sure Mm. there's schools that do it well but um certainly some schools don't we have just finished our sexual health at my school and i'm one of the sexual health teachers there's two of us and the age again uh, 12 ish Mm -hmm. about 12 so we very much for the, or 11, 12. The 11s, we talk about their um, own personal bodies and how they're changing and through puberty and stuff. And then with the 12-year-olds, we do talk about um, how a baby's made, but it's all very practical around how a baby's made. There's nothing about sexual pleasure or um, sex as anything other than procreation. So what, t- to me, the subliminal message there is that you're not supposed to enjoy it and there is no pleasure and if you talk about liking it, you're going to be a slut or you, you're easy or, you, or whatever. Mm. So it's not very, by the sounds of it, it's not terribly sex positive. Well, it's more just sex practical, I would say. Okay. Yeah, so there's no um, saying anything bad about it, but it's very much just this is a practical size. What is great, though, is that the kids are really good at asking questions. And those uh. questions are where I get to go into stuff outside of that boundary. So we can't, we're not supposed to explicitly say anything that is beyond outside of that procreation. But when the kids ask questions, for the most part, we can provide an answer. And do you know what sort of stuff gets talked about in sex ed in high school? Because that's primary school you're talking about. This is primary school, yes. I'm a primary school teacher. So um, in high school, it does move into um, sex as pleasure somewhat, but it completely and is very much determined by the individual schools as to what content mm-hmm. is provided. There's There are programs out there, but 
it, they're like optional. They're not certainly some sort of sex ed is necessary, but the actual details are up to individual t- schools. Do you know if there's any discussion around um, trans sexual health at all in any of the sex ed in schools? I wouldn't know in high school. I only cover transgender issues when I get asked questions about it. Again, for that same... Why would they be asking, do you think? It's in the news, Caitlyn Jenner. Yeah. Um, Last year it was um, a military officer who had a transgender operation was in the news at the time, and so that is where the question came from last year. Mm. So it's just the news. So how does... um, how does a school decide what they can and can't teach? Is it is it uh, dictated by parents or is there some guideline or is it just whatever flies? I'm not a um, I'm not involved with the health department at all, but I believe from what I've been told is that there is a curriculum, but it's quite um, non-specific. Mm. So in the end, it's left up to the school how they fill that in. And from speaking to people who work in schools and teachers and uh, people who... Um, design the lessons um, it's it is restricted by what the parents think because the parents are on the school board and mm. yeah it's not dictated by what parents want it's dictated of, by fear of parents well this is what disturbs me so uh, what I often hear is that parents think certain things are a school's responsibility and then the schools think certain things are a parents responsibility or an adult source not not that's not our job to do that so where's that middle ground where where is the care for the person the child the teenager how about it's everyone's respo- responsibility so we all do it I agree I rather agree. than palming it off to the other person how about we all just do it mm. but how do, how do how do you create um, an open and a, a free-flowing conversation? You have people, Vinny, that will come in to see you for whatever reason in the clinic. Clayton has students that might come to him for a certain reason. So how do you create a, f- a f- two-way conversation that gets rid of, if possible, any stigma or negativity? How do you do that? Well, it's, well firstly, it's about gauging what that person's needs are and you, you know by sort of sensitive asking you'll you'll figure out where they're at in terms of their own um, sexual knowledge and their own satisfaction with their sex life and that's often a good starting point asking mm. someone you know how do you feel your sex life is going for you are you happy with it or are there some issues that um you might need a hand with are they honest with you like do you really do you think they're truly think honest so. yeah yeah is it because it's a safe space yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, our clinic's um, pretty overt in this. I mean, we've got a big sign at the front that says <laughs> sexual health and transgender health and gay and lesbian health. Um, so people already know when they're coming into the clinic that this is a safe space. Um, and that really helps. Mm. Um, we're going to go for a very quick break. Come back. You're on Stand Up Straight on Joy. Alan Cumming is a shape-shifting trickster. As enthralling and nimble with Shakespeare as he is with show tunes. This January, the award-winning actor, singer and author makes his Melbourne debut with a wildly entertaining cabaret show that's intimate, witty and fabulously mischievous. Alan Cumming sings sappy songs. January 5 to 7. Tickets at artscentermelbourne.com.au. Joy Sponsor.
yourself stand up straight on joy 94.9 hi everyone thanks for hanging around and uh, if you've heard the songs you probably gather there's a little bit of a theme tonight we're talking about sex we've got dr vincent Connolly's in the studio <laughs> and um, uh, con uh, and uh, clayton uh con. has I was gonna say conrad <laughs> i don't know where that came from uh clayton uh helping uh, direct the show as well um the um i don't know if this is kind of a broad question and i know i hear people talk about safe sex a lot like use that terminology is used a lot but what does it really mean well safe sex is uh means different things for different people mm. and i think that's you know important to put that into education because <laughs> we i mean obviously so tell me what what would it well, be for different people well because obviously you know the obvious one is that you know people talk about condoms mm-hmm. um and sure for a lot of people that's safe sex so using condoms for penile vaginal sex so when the penis goes into vagina or for penile anal sex penis into anus um I think it's fair to say that no one uses condoms for oral sex. If you do, good on you. Um, well, okay. But hardly I'd... anyone does. We were, we were discussing yeah. before the show, the most common question I get asked in as, a, as a sexual health educator is, is oral sex safe? Well, it depends on what you mean by safe. And yes. there you um, go. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's certainly extremely, considered extremely low risk for HIV transmission. You know, in medicine, we never say zero, but, mm-hmm. you know, I'll leave that there. Um, but you can transmit things like gonorrhea or chlamydia through oral sex. Um, but then chlamydia and gonorrhea can be treated quite easily. So if you are having oral sex with people and you're getting screened on a regular basis, then I would consider that a safe sexual practice. Mm-hmm. Um you know, for some people, safe sex means not inserting genitals into other people's genitals. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there's a whole bunch of sexual practices you can enjoy without actually inserting genitals into other genitals. Uh, you know, you can stick it into armpits or you can <laughs> shove it between a couple of thighs. There's lots of ways to enjoy it. And that's all safe sex as well. And obviously it doesn't involve condoms. Mm. Um, and, you know, I guess if we're looking at HIV, because obviously people... Is that HIV still an is issue? A, HIV. Is people coming to talk to you about HIV? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we spend a lot of time talking about HIV. Um, more prep? so now, yeah, more so now that we've um, got PrEP. Can you, for those that are unsure, perhaps or need a refresher even, what is PrEP? Yeah, so a quick rundown. There's PEP and PrEP, two mm-hmm. different things. Same drug that's being used. It's both HIV prevention strategies. PEP is when you use the drug after you've possibly been exposed to HIV. Mm-hmm. Preferably within 24 hours, but you can do it up to 72 hours after exposure. So important to know about. And if you need 
Pep, then make sure you uh, either go to the Ring the Pep hotline, so just Google Pep Australia, and we'll it will come up. We'll put that on our uh, Facebook. Um, or go to your nearest large emergency department, and they'll be able to supply it. Or come and see one of the clinics like ours, where we can um, supply with Pep as well. So that's Pep. Prep is using that same medication on an ongoing basis, and that's very useful for people who have ongoing risk of HIV exposure. So that's people who uh, may not use condoms all the time for anal sex. So it's mainly being used for men who have sex with men, not so much um, for heterosexual couples. I mean, it is available. Well, it is. Um, obviously, it could be used by heterosexual couples as well, but the um, effectiveness data is not as good for heterosexual couples as it is for men who have sex with men. So it's, it's yeah, suitable for... Uh, uh, people who don't use condoms all the time for anal sex or people who are in a relationship with, um, like, HIV... People who are HIV negative who are in a relationship with someone who's living with HIV might be useful as well. This might seem like an odd question, but if somebody is using PrEP... Do you say using or do you say on PrEP? Like, is it an ongoing or is it an on and off? Is it a permanent...? Well, well, we, well we try to tell people that it's the best thing to do is to be on it all the time. If you're going to be on it, I mean, not indefinitely. I mean, mm. You don't have to be on it for the rest of your life. But if you're going to start it, be on it consistently for the period that you needed rather than coming on and off. Does it or would it mean potentially that somebody might um, use PrEP as a way of being able, of not having to be protected in another way? Uh, does it mean that they might be more at, at more risk-taking behaviour or Well, something? I mean, PrEP is, um, the whole concept is designed to um, assist people who are already at risk. Okay. Um, and by giving them PrEP, they become safer, mm-hmm. as in they lower their risk of getting HIV. Um, there have been lots of studies looking at whether people, once they start PrEP, whether they increase their risk. Look, in the end... Young people particularly, but people of all ages, take risk. That's what we do. And people enjoy sex, and sex can be a risky activity. And if you remove some of the risk, then it's only logical that people have more sex. But Mm -hmm. as long as you're covering their risk, that doesn't matter. Is... um do you think people's confidence now in their sexual activity and sex- sexual lives uh, makes them more responsible across the board? So if they if they understand risk, they understand uh, sa- what safe sex is, what unprotected sex is. Do you think that makes them uh, they're more responsible for their sexual health? Does it make them? <sighs> I'm trying to explain what I mean. Does it make them... They're obviously Does more it make them a better person? Is that no, what you're saying? No, I'm, I suppose not. What I was meaning is, it, does it make them a better... Oh, it's not a better person. It's not really... I think, a, look, people, people will always have risk. You know, risk is a fact of life. And people do go through phases where mm. they are at more risk than they would be at other times of their life. And that can be because of a whole bunch of factors. You know, obviously, sometimes people go, go through phases where they have trouble with alcohol or drugs or their, their relationship status might be unstable or um, they might have lost their job and all of a sudden life mm. becomes chaos or their housing may not be stable. And there's, there's lots and lots of different reasons why why people can go through a phase where their risk increases. And I think the important thing is that there's many ways that we can help people reduce their risk of um, 
well, risk of consequences from the risk from the other sentence makes no sense. But you know what I mean. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, there's yeah, lots yeah, of yeah. ways that we can help people to manage their risk so that they can pass through that phase. And then lots of, you know, I would think most people eventually come to a phase where they probably don't have as much risk as they did previously. Mm. Mm. Well, evidence around human nature shows us that the concept of harm minimization works a lot better than saying, oh, just don't do it. Don't do it. Because yeah, people don't want to do it. It's so. the zero tolerance, isn't it? That, that's never going to work because there's never going to be a zero. You know, there's always got to be a tolerance in some way, doesn't there? Do you, um, I think there's got to be lots of tolerance. I mean, I, no one, certainly I never see myself in a position to be able to judge what someone else is doing. If someone comes to me and they've got a problem as a result of things that are going on in their life and they're taking risk, I'm in no position to judge that. I mean, that is a result of their life and the very many different factors in their life that have resulted in them behaving that way. Well, do, you, do you think then maybe that's that, that goes to the, the stigma um, attached to so much so much discussion around sex? It doesn't happen because of this, you know, if, if, you're, if you're into a particular fetish or you, you, you're into a particular sort of lifestyle that you're judged, so therefore you don't talk about it, so therefore maybe you don't get the correct advice or guidance or sexual, sexual guidance around it. Yeah. Definitely. I think the only way you're going to get the right advice is if you can actually talk about it. And if you, you know, unfortunately, that means you've got to find someone who you can talk to yeah. about it. And, <laughs> and that is a bit difficult for a lot of people because of the stigma attached mm. to sex. And that's what the outreach, which is now called VACreach, um, is about, is giving people a chance to access things in their own way. So online or at a venue and they can come and ask those questions without judgment and we'll give whatever answer we can and we'll refer them on if we're unable to give the answer. Mm. So. Do, is there enough resources out there, do you think? There's the internet. <laughs> well, there is, but I, and, and that is something I'm actually going to talk about after this break. But as far as research, research, resources, are they? how do people know what's out there, for instance? I think that there's loads of resources <clears throat> out there, but the problem is finding the right resources. And I think mm. in the end, a one-on-one conversation or a group conversation is going to be much more useful for most people than looking up leaflets online and websites. But, but, it, but it, what if they're embarrassed or they they don't want to talk about it? But you still think a one-on-one or, or a group conversation is going to be better? Yeah, I, would I have reckon. thought people wouldn't want that. Well, maybe they don't, but <laughs> I <think laughs> and I could be completely too. wrong. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, but I mean, there's so much nitty gritty that it's very difficult to give blanket advice to people on websites. Although, you mm. know, having said that, there's lots of specialty websites now as well, so mm, you can mm. find out just about anything. <laughs> um, we're going to go for a short break. Come back. Uh, you're on Stand Up Straight. You're listening to Michelle on Stand Up Straight on Joy ninety four point nine. She's my mum. We are in the studio. Clayton and I with Dr. Vincent Cornelis. He is a sex... Would you say you're a sex educator as well? Well, I'm not officially a sex educator. I'm a sexual health doctor, but I do a lot of sex education in my clinical practice. Mm. Can we say sexpert just for fun? Oh, Oh, go on. We should have had had the uh, applause ready. I apologise. Well done. That's nearly as as good as saying doctor in the house. Uh There you go. I said it for the third third time. time. You always break your promises. Um, so uh, this w- and, uh, this is an interesting uh, situation I'm in because there's uh, been a lot of talk um, this week on porn and I, I watched a really interesting uh, discussion on a, on a channel 
uh, this week and the pros and the cons of porn and it was it gave it a very very interesting perspective couples that use it couples that don't people that, single guys that do older people that do younger ones that don't and everything in between so i wondered whether do, is, do you have an opinion on porn how does it play a role does it does it not is it good for you? is it bad for you is it and i know there's a lot Lots of answers to that question. There so is. Doesn't everyone have an opinion on porn? Yeah, they do, though. But I, I think fi- so. I, I've, mine has changed, and that's what I find interesting yeah. for myself. But has it changed since you watched this program? I mean, no, I haven't seen this program, but uh, no, it's changed probably in recent years because what I and this is my personal life coming out. What my uh, <laughs> I saw it as dirty and not needed and why would anyone watch it if someone's watching it means they're not happy in their relationship etc 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 i've tried changed dramatically because i only see it as a positive and i know there's elements of porn that are uh, perhaps don't uh, that demean women or demean men uh, and don't show people perhaps in a positive light and i know there's um, certain areas of porn that are extremely violent and i'm aware of that for me, it, it comes down to a consent thing. If you're watching it because you want to, it's fine. If you're watching it with a partner or partners because you want to, to me, that's fine. Yeah. That's why I've changed. Well, I think porn can be glorious, but and I think a lot of people, and obviously, <laughs> a lot of people enjoy <laughs> porn. <laughs> Let's state the obvious. Um, there, I, but I, obviously, I won't deny that there are problems with porn. And I think, uh, for me, uh, I think the problems are that. I'm worried that not all porn is made made in a consensual manner. Yeah. So people um, may be taken advantage of during the making of porn. I think that's an issue. Mm. Um, and the other th- issue is that young, I'm thinking particularly young people, because on the whole, young people do tend to be a bit more impressionable than the old ones like me. Um, but I think young people can get the wrong idea from porn. But I don't think that is porn's fault, no. necessarily. That is a problem that we need to address in sexual health education. Because they're only seeing one side, really. They're only seeing um, porn produced for uh, its well, porn is produced for the, for the pleasure of the person watching. It's not produced necessarily for the pleasure of the people in the porn. Or so to the things educate that you, either. Or to educate. So the people that are part of the, the porn may not actually be having a great time. Um, so I think part of sex ed needs to be about porn and about saying, look, porn can be great. And I know people, you know, many people, who use it as an instructional video, and that's fine. Um <laughs> But you need to know that that some of it's not realistic and some of it is demeaning and some of the power play in porn um, wouldn't be considered consensual if you did it in the bedroom yourself. Correct. But it, to go back to something you mentioned about it not necessarily being educa- educational for a, a, a gay man, for no, instance. No, it can be educational. Can be. Yeah, yeah, I'm not saying it's not educational. So if, if, a, if a gay man is not sexually active or hasn't been yet, they're young, a teenager or whatever, and I apologise, this might sound naive, naive in some of the things that I'm saying, but and if I'm wrong, you guys must tell me. But if, if they're not getting sex ed at school, they don't have a person that they can go to, they don't have a sexual health doctor that they might go to or anything like that. So if they're seeing porn, are they at least getting an idea that, hey, what I like is actually kind of normal or yeah. what I'm seeing is okay? Is that still... No, I agree. I agree. I think, like, I was sort of reiterating what I was saying before, I think all we need to make sure is that our young people um, have the understanding of, of, of can discern between the bits that are educational and instructive and the bits that are just going a bit too far in the wrong direction. So, how, but how do you 
get them to differentiate? Well, I think it comes down to the basics again. No, not the stage, but it comes down to, again, that whole conversation about how do you negotiate sexual relationships? How do you... How do you mm. identify what your boundaries are and how do you convey those boundaries to the people you're having sex with and how do you recognise those people's boundaries? How do you do that? So does it come back to communication, asking, yeah. asking Well, it's verbal allowing. and non-verbal communication. Yeah, yeah. I think one access of pornography, one level of pornography that is good for people to access is to understand their sexual fetishes a bit. So finding out and seeing and viewing that and getting to understand whether they actually think they want to try it and if they're going to like it. It's not necessarily the best lesson in it, but at least it provides an avenue. No, I agree. Yeah, I think porn is a great educator in fetish. Um, and, you know, it's hard to get that sort of education anywhere else. Yeah, well, there. my only... I suppose my uh, the, the concern I have is that... Um, how do, how does somebody that's watching porn get to uh, a, a stage perhaps where they're not where they realise okay this is fantasy this is reality how do you get how do you have a, a dialogue with them at all how do you have these young people you know whatever sexuality they are how do you get them to have positive attitude not be not be have their ideas blurred or hmm. whatever how do you do that well, it's very tricky i think um and there's no blanket rules i think because fantasy and reality are different for different people as well i mean for some people reality might be very vanilla and you know having sex twice a week with their partner um in the same position every time is their reality but other people uh, you know have very fantastic and i mean fantastic as in you know fantasy like um mm. sex lives that involve role play and props and stage productions almost <laughs> and that's their reality and that's perfectly fine as well and there's lots of stuff in between there that's uh, reality for different people so i think the only way that people can learn how to rec- sort of differentiate between what is their fantasy and their reality is through exploring what they enjoy and then having the skills to convey that to people and having the skills to be receptive to what those people, as in their sexual partners, what they enjoy and what they want to do. So then does it come back down to, even at a base level in primary school, talking about sex being good and nice and it can feel good and fun, fun. so it has to start that far back? Because let's face it, it often you might not have that discussion at home with with your family or you might not have siblings or whatever, you don't talk about with your cousins or whatever. So it really has to kind of start at a grassroots level i suppose so to speak yeah and yeah? just getting those those basic principles right mm. we've had a message in from dean um regarding prep i spoke to my gp about it he had no idea about it or even uh, that it existed wow. we got online and he rang the pharmacist he said it had not been approved in australia and noted that the drug would be tough on your body he recommended not to use it and to stick to condoms <laughs> so the info is tough to get uh, if you do not live in a gay suburb. No, that's true. And, um, yeah, I'm sorry to hear, Dean, that you've had a negative experience um, trying to improve your sexual safety. Um, it can be a bit tricky. In one way, the GP is right. So the use of... We're talking about basically Truvada, which is a brand name, sorry to mention, but... Um, sorry to mention brand name. But we're talking about the use of Truvada on a daily basis to reduce the risk of HIV. Mm-hmm. Now, Truvada is approved in Australia for treating people who are living with HIV, mm-hmm. 
But the use of Truvada as PrEP is not yet approved. Oh, sorry, is not approved. And the, I won't say yet, but the Therapeutic Goods Administration is currently considering whether it should be approved or not. So if someone in Australia wanted to access PrEP now, are they able to do it for a treatment prior, uh, to not become HIV positive? They are. Um, it would just it would, The best thing to do would be to go speak to a GP who's experienced in treating HIV mm-hmm. um, at any of the sort of more gay, lesbian, trans-oriented clinics around the city. Um, and they, I'm sure they will be able to look after Dean or anyone else who um, would like to access PrEP. We are just going to go for a quick break and uh, wrap up after this short break. You're on Stand Up Straight on Joy. Hi, this is Daniel Whithouse, and you're listening to Stand Up Straight on Joy 94.9. It's like having a cuppa around Michelle's kitchen table. You are with Michelle... Clayton and uh, Dr. Vinnie will call you now for the last time. Um, we're talking about sex, sexual health. Wondering whether good mental and sexual health are linked. Well, I think there's a long history of um, linking sexual health and mental health. I mm. mean, Freud was obviously very um, convinced <laughs> that people's sexual repressions were the cause of, I think he called it hysteria. Hysteria and, and women or something. Yeah, hysteria yes. and women. And yeah. then the, the vibrator therapy came out where all the women in Vienna were getting vibrator therapy from their psychiatrists to relieve <laughs> their hysteria. <laughs> no, seriously. <laughs> So that, that was many, many years ago. So obviously, like I said, there's a long history of this. Um, and I don't have any studies that I can quote that say sexual health and mental health are definitely linked. But I think it's safe to say that I think they are. Of course they are. Yeah. I, well, I mean, I, sex is really important. I mean, everyone, if you think about it, you know, people are animals. Mm. And the prime purpose of animals is to eat and to have sex, mm. basically. And all the other stuff is sort of extra. Um, so it is one of our core functions. <laughs> Look, um, very personal moment here, which I don't often do, but um, I, back in my early days of being a gay man, I was sort of dealing with my sexual health through um, going to venues and engaging in unsafe sex because I didn't care about myself enough. So, And that's when I wow. ac- began to access stuff to help with my mental health, like selective serotonin reuptake, uh, antidepressants. So, yeah. Really? Yeah, and I think that's a really good point. I think we often, when when we see people who've been at a, a, going through a time of really high sexual risk, there is often stuff going on for them, and it feeds into each other. So it's the having trouble with depression and anxiety. I think for many people increases their sexual risk. Mm. Um, but the other way around as well. If you're not happy with your sex life, if you're not happy with what's happening, that can have a negative effect on your mental health. Yeah, it can do, and I think, um, and probably in reverse as well. I think. I think I said that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, um, Vinny, if uh, people want to, how often should they have the, a sexual health check? It depends on what you activity. get up to. Um, for men who have sex with men, try and at least have a checkup once a year. If you have lots of fun, then come and see us more often. So, you know, <laughs> if you need to come and see us every three months, every two months, every month, I don't mind. Just come in and have a checkup. And but at least once a year. If and you, sorry, no, I was going to say for um, uh, people who have sex with the opposite gender, it, it varies a bit more. But you know, the more if you're under 25, again, once a year is minimum. And also, praise someone that is a young person that goes and gets a sexual health check because they need to know they're doing the right thing. That's my parental advice. Thank you very much, Vinny, for joining us in the studio. We're going to make you a regular 
uh, next year, whether you like it or not. I'm going to add two things before we go. One is that you can also get tested at a pronto clinic, so and that you get results within 10 minutes. Do you guys do short-term short responses as well? Yeah, Excellent. we do yeah. rapid tests as well. Yeah, I think that's yeah. what I couldn't find. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is if you need to access PEP, which is pre-exposure, sorry, post-exposure prophylaxis, you can call 1-800-889-887 to get some advice. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Um, absolute pleasure. Thank you, James, across the desk. We will hear you at nine on the woods, no doubt. Up next are the guys from Spirit Lounge. You've been listening to Michelle on Stand Up Straight on Joy. Joy 94.9 is a GLBTIQ community radio station in Melbourne, Australia. Support Joy 94.9 by becoming a member at joy.org.au. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.